how did you get to the point of like starting to craft these really amazing machines from just the amp, you know, because that's, there is a definitely a leap in, in technology and in, in, mm-hmm. in skill level to get to that point. Well, it goes, again, it goes back to exactly what we were talking about where you don't know what yeah. you don't know. And so believe it or not. So this, this is what's interesting is I moved from guitar amp into multiple guitar amps. I mean, I, I designed a bunch of them. That's what I was at first was yeah. indie amps. It was an amp company. Like I, I built amps. And then I started looking at like, man, I need preamps because I just really don't appreciate basically every preamp I have with the exception of maybe three, like the Telefunken V76, one of my favorites. There's an old RCA from the 50s that I really like too. Uh, but the modern stuff, anywhere from the 50s on, I'm just usually not a fan of because I don't like their design aesthetic as far as sonic design aesthetic. So I thought, you know, I'm really liking these guitar amps. I like them more than my Mesas and everything else. And, hmm, what would it be? Like, what is the difference really with Mike Pre? And then I started looking. And I'm like, well, there's not really a lot of difference other than some extra stuff that people would add on from an engineering perspective to lower the THD content, which I'm not a fan of. Okay, so leave that out. Or what else? Well, you need to somehow get the mic to talk to it. So that's an impedance matching problem. So you got to figure out transformers or something like that. I'm not doing op amps because I hate op amps. It's like a gazillion different transistors in one little chip that does nothing but screw up sound as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. Yes, I offended a lot of designers, but I don't care. I know what I like. And, uh, and so it, it, it kind of turned into, let's take the little gorilla, leave out the output stage put another tube that I know quite well, the, the 12AU7, which is a triode, on the back end that gives me my final amplification, but leave the EF86, modify some values, but let's figure out a transformer that works in front of it, let's figure out one that works behind it, and then just see what it sounds like. And from there, I can start tweaking and I can start messing with things. And so the first preamp I ever designed was the Rembrandt, mm-hmm. which is, it's changed a little bit over time just to tweak the values and add some more options and things like that. But the general idea of it is still very similar to that guitar amp that I built, the the, um, the little gorilla is what I called it, and and it's interesting because it's like mic pre's are not all that different than basic guitar amps, mm. but yet at the same time there's a lot of differences that you have to account for. But it's the same concept. You're amplifying yeah. a sound. You have to capture it, so the microphone captures it, or the the, the you know you plug in a, a bass or a guitar or something. You got to capture the sound. And I very quickly figured out, I like to capture everything that I'm hearing in the room. If I hear it and it sounds amazing in the room, I need to capture that in the finest detail I can and add a little bit of sonic enhancement as is appropriate. Mm -hmm. Or if I want to distort the crap out of it, I can do that too. But that's the general aesthetic is I don't want to lose content on the capturing Mm -hmm. phase. I want to capture all of it. And then if I want to screw with it, that's what I do in the mixing yeah. phase. And if I want to use hardware to do it, great. If I want to use software, whatever, I don't care. But that's a mixing decision. And so I just, I started trying to go down the road of understanding how do you capture all of the detail, all of the dynamics, all of the EQ, all of everything that that mic is putting out and capture what's happening in the energy in that room. Because everything that I had up until that point at any price point was just not doing mm-hmm. it. And, and again, I learned reasons for that having to do with negative feedback looping and things like that. And so I finally just, I just threw out the, the newer textbooks and went back to the old school and just said, screw it. I'm just going to start jacking around with this. No rules other than don't blow up the tubes and don't blow up the capacitors. Keep it safe. But once you're in safe realm, no rules. Mm-hmm. 
make it sound like the room. And so I, I, I do a lot of mastering. And so I would, I would always, ha- I always have my mastering rig up, you know, in my studio. And so it's when I'm listening to things, I'm not listening like a guitarist in a room mm-hmm. because your ears compress, your follicles, you know, like you can't hear it after the first burst. Yeah. Right. So everything has to be mic'd up. Everything has to be isolated. The microphone has to be, you know, precisely set, keep all variables and it has to be true in double blind studies. So in other words, I assume my gear is less quality and doesn't sound as good until proven wrong by double blind mm-hmm. studies. And once that happens, then I can speak authoritatively. Okay, well, most people enjoy this. I enjoy this too. Okay, we have something. Um, but, but I think that it's, it's a step where I don't start with the equations. Mm-hmm. I start with what am I looking for? What's the sound I'm looking for? All right, start putting things together. What what does that sound like? That's not quite it. Okay, what does this sound? Oh, that's getting there. So let's change something. And like in other words, it's an experimental approach on purpose because I let my ears do the talking. Yeah. It's the same concept with compression. Why is it most people suck with compression, especially when they first start off? It's because they're compressing with their eyes. They're looking at the meters. Mm-hmm. Well, I very quickly learned I suck at compressing with my eyes, just like most people, because when you're on Spotify, nobody sees compression on Spotify. All they do is hear it. Okay. So I don't care what your compressor says. So I would like tape up my VU meters, like, so I can't see them. And it would force me to listen, close your eyes and just listen, learn them, understand them. It's the same thing with gear designing. What am I looking for? Is it sounding like what the room is sounding like? Is it sounding like the piano that I'm recording? Is it sounding like the acoustic guitar, but just better? Because most of the time I just was not able to get that with, with other, with other gear. And and again, I keep going back to, it's just a difference in approach. I'm approaching it from a musician who doesn't give a crap what my schematic says. I don't care. I don't care if I impress an engineer who says, wow, that's a beautifully elegant design. Well, most of my designs are not beautifully elegant. In fact, they look really backwards. They're inefficient and they just look, why would you, why would you ever do something? In fact, I've had engineers ask me that. Why would you do that? Do you realize that there's a way better way to accomplish that? To which I respond, yeah, I know, I tried. And it sounded like crap because you're cleaning up the harmonics and I'm not about that. Mm. And anyway, it's just, it's just that type of a design. So when you look at, you know, Michelangelo, Michelangelo is an absolutely backwards idiotic design from an engineering standpoint. But that's because I wanted to accomplish building an EQ that is easy to use, but that can also be complicated. And I wanted to be able to do the impossible, which is when you turn up a band, it sounds better. Mm-hmm. Whereas in most... EQs, they tell you, no, no, you really want to turn them mm-hmm. down. Well, I, that's stupid. I'm not using, utilizing my tubes at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get a little bit of saturation. So let's incentivize people to turn it up. And, um, but again, that kind of approach leads you into a very different design world that displeases a good portion of mathematicians and engineers. If you could go back and give advice to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? <sighs> Uh, invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> right, right, right. Jeez, man. Everything else in my life has been just struggling through everything. And honestly, I love where it's taken me because I love to learn. I hate school because I love to learn. Right. And I mean, I am who I am. My family is who they are. I love where I am in life. I think it's been a great life. And I look forward to the future. But man, investing in Bitcoin when it first came out would have provided a level of financial freedom that would allow me to go out and go find people and figure out ways to make their lives better. 
like the, honestly, that's, that's my biggest thing is I would love to be stupid wealthy so that I could go out and fix a lot of problems with a lot of different people. Cause I find that to be fun. I love that. I just think that would be the coolest thing in the world, but I can't do it without financial freedom. You know, 